1: Hello, this is Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. It's a podcast about making work better. Well, what a strange time we're living through. Um, (laughs) Clearly, discussions about work in a normal capacity are a long way from anything that seems relevant at the moment. A whole load of us are working from home and trying to sort of navigate the way that that's impacting. Certainly, I don't know what I can say that hasn't already been said. So... To some extent, this episode's a distraction, just something really interesting to listen to from a profession that's always in our highest regard in times like this, but too easily forgotten in the good times. Christy Watson is a trained nurse who spent 20 years working in hospitals across London. She's an incredible testament to never allowing your own creative spark to die. She explains to me how she wrote her first book, an award-winning novel, while studying a course in creative writing and working as a nurse and also being a single mother. And I love it because I I love the whole story behind it because the novel won the immensely prestigious Costa Book Award Award. She didn't even know she'd been nominated for it. And brilliantly, when the publisher phoned to tell her, she had to Google the prize to work out uh, what it actually was. So incredible. Maybe at the moment you're wondering how to use some of your untapped energy. Let Christy be your inspiration. Her book that we're talking about here is The Language of Kindness, A Nurses Story. It's a remarkable tale of, of a job right in the heart of solving the challenges of anxious families and really trying to retain a professional distance while so deeply enmeshed in the the most traumatic moments of people's lives and I was I was interested to talk to her because I wanted to understand what the job of a nurse was like we talk about privilege along the way mainly mine that I found her book so eye-opening about areas that I was oblivious to it's a beautiful account. It's become a bestseller, largely because of the sympathy that runs through it. Uh, as she as she titles it, it's the language of kindness. It's a, it's a job filled with kindness. In one episode in the book, Christy washes the hair of a recently deceased patient so that the smell of the burning that contributed to their, their death uh, won't pollute the family's last moments with the body, which uh, I think sort of summarises some of the way that just deep empathy sympathy runs through the the whole profession here's the author of the language of kindness a nurse's story here's christy watson Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so thrilled to have you here. The thing I was really interested in, before we really start, how did you find the time to... Because you were a published, award-winning author while you were still a nurse, and you're not a nurse anymore, is that right?
2: I came off the register, yeah, last year or the year before. Okay.
1: How did you find the time? It seems like a remarkable Uh, way to squeeze writing into something so draining.
2: I think that... um, Well, I can't believe I'm leading with this but on this particular podcast, but I am a workaholic. Right. <laughs> I'm a recovering workaholic. Right. So I have always worked stupid hours in whatever I've been doing. And at one stage I was doing a, an MA in creative writing at UEA in Norwich. I was living in London and that was a full-time course. I was also nursing children in the community who had life-limiting illnesses. And I had a two-year-old and I remember reading the reading list itself was astonishing and just skim reading everything and trying to make everything work and fitting it in and that's when I wrote the, my first novel as oh. well just can't, I look back and think how did I do it but I must have been working 100 hour
1: weeks that's strange isn't it what what do you think compels some of us to be workaholics shame
2: I, shame did, perfectionism is, 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 true is perfection. it something in
1: our childhood though I, I think I have it a bit at times as well
2: I think it's probably low self-esteem, right. but something to prove. I don't know. I've tried to analyse it, and I'm trying to recover from it and do a bit more yoga.
1: Oh, you <laughs> I think I never wanted yeah. to let anyone down. And I think that's yeah. the big motivation in me. Absolutely. I didn't want, you know, like back from being a kid. I never wanted to bring a D home on my school report. And in fact, even when I had a few Cs, it was a point of of. Discussion and I think that has extended into my adult life.
2: But so. has that been from the outside, or is that something internal? I mean, were you oh. getting told, "Oh, you need to get A, A stars"?
1: Or did as, you, as a kid, yeah. there was definitely initially the imperative, but everything after the age of sixteen was entirely in me. Right. It's been sort of so deeply ingrained.
2: Yeah. How do you recover from that? I know,
1: that's why I was so interested that you said you're recovering. Yeah, I'm trying to recover. So what's it like now that you've given up?
2: Uh, Given up being a workholic. Or given up the fact that you're doing shifts. Right, okay. So uh, so now I just transfer, so I'm, so they're making a theatre production of my show, which is amazing. Okay. So it's the team, Wayward Productions, who used to be the Complicite team. So I'm doing some stuff with them, some consultancy with them. I'm, working with Mammoth Productions to create a television series. So I'm writing scripts for the first time, which is super exciting, and having a lot of um, discussions and meeting with them, and that's a whole new world. And then I've just written another book, and now I'm thinking about the next book. So I'm still battling with the idea that I need to work. I'd I'd be very unhappy if I wasn't working, but it's about that balance. And I think I'm really trying to, when I do have downtime... Not beat myself up about it. So there was a point when if I took a Saturday off, for example, I would be so stressed that there was no point taking the Saturday off because I couldn't enjoy it. Right. Yeah. And that's really unhealthy. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, so, so you've written this book oh, a, a few years ago now, but yeah. I, I sort of, I, f- I forget how I started chatting to you. And, uh, and I've so enjoyed the discussions I've had with Dr. Heidi Edmondson before and Adam Kay. And actually when I chatted to Adam Kay about this is going to hurt, he, one of the things I said was I said that, you know, that albeit he paints this vivid picture of the plight of junior doctors, in fact, there's an unspoken aspect that in a very hierarchical, high, high- profession, nurses are uh, even in a, a worse situation than doctors, um, and I guess that's why I was sort of, I read your book and, and got drawn to that. So explain to me this, because I guess the whole book covers this, but what does it mean to be a nurse?
2: I think it's one of those jobs that's really hard to get into language, because it's, uh, it's all the sciences, it's all the humanities, it's all the arts, it's not one thing or another, Um, I think it looks very simple from the outside, so you might see a nurse holding a patient's hand and think it's about care, kindness, compassion, which it absolutely is, but that nurse will also be doing really complex assessments of a patient's mental health, emotional health, their situation at home, doing risk assessments of whether or not it's safe to admit them or send them home. They'll be building a a really big puzzle of that patient's life. So nursing is an incredibly complex job that's difficult to get into words, but Essentially, nurses are um, entrepreneurs, they're leaders, they're leaders of healthcare. they're clinical practitioners, they're researchers. They work in prisons, in schools, in hospices, in hospitals, in mental health settings, in community settings. It's, it's one of those jobs that is so varied and broad, but very little understood. And at its heart is, is the kindness that I want to talk about
1: in the book. And that kindness almost comes through as one of the required defining characteristics of the job. When I was chatting to Adam Kay about the, the medical profession, and he says in his book that, you know, you're not allowed to have a concern for patients outside of the, the sort of working hours. You describe incredibly vivid and touching scenes of this incredible kindness towards, you know, dying dying patients, patients who are sort of gravely ill. Is Is the... a a mandated limitation to that? Are you not meant to be that compassionate?
2: I think when I started out, um, I began nursing at 17. And I really believed then that nursing was about saving lives and cracking chests and doing all the advanced CPR and everything else. As time went on, my perception of what nursing and the importance of nursing changed, I think. And at the very beginning, I thought you should never cry in front of your patients. You never let someone see emotions because the last thing someone needs when they're seriously ill is a nurse crying all over them. And so I think I held in a lot for many, many years and I think that was particularly unhealthy. And if I could go back to my younger self now, I would say, you know, it's absolutely fine to show humanity and kindness and sometimes sadness because you are going on a journey with people during their most significant and fragile moments of their life. Of course, you feel desperately sad if, you've, if the boy you're looking after or have looked after for five months is dying. And it's fine to cry. It's fine for the nurse to cry. And sometimes actually it's helpful for families to see how much somebody who is caring for them really does care.
1: It strikes me as the the way you were going through the expertise, the actually, the, the intuition, the reading of situations. It made me feel that it was so unjust, the hierarchy that society affords to doctors over nurses. It's almost like you talk about how you stumbled into the profession, and yet being a doctor seems to be like this well-regarded vocation. And it just seemed to be a reflection of maybe a different time. These A lot of the roles of nurses are passed to nursing assistants, aren't they now? Or what?
2: So healthcare assistants healthcare are a big part of the working. Yeah. Some, some places call them nursing assistants, yeah. but um, I don't see that hierarchy existing okay. in clinical practice. Right. In actual fact, the teamwork between nurses and doctors, there is no place for hierarchy. It's very much team focused effort and I don't know any um doctors that I've ever worked with who ever thought that nurses were lesser than or less important than so I think that perception is absolutely right and you've you've hit something but it comes from the media and it comes from outside hospitals right and so I've done a lot of interviews obviously to do with the book and I get consistently asked why didn't I become a doctor (laughs) as if being a doctor was more important or I get asked um you know, do nurses really need a d- degree, for example? And I think there's a real lack of understanding about what the job actually involves, but that doesn't come from doctors. And there's certainly no hierarchy in my experience between okay. between doctors and nurses. We just rely on each other. And some of the best people I've ever worked with are, are doctors and some are nurses. It's just...
1: Definitely from the outside, that doesn't always feel like it's the case.
2: It might not be the case everywhere. I think I, I'm talking very much from my own perspective, which is uh, tertiary teaching hospitals in London where I've worked in paediatric intensive care units for example or on cardiac arrest teams so if you know I haven't been to hospitals around the country to work in actual uh, different surgical wards or different environments and I think probably it has changed over the years because I, I do know a surgical nurse who said that one of the surgeons she used to work with regularly threw instruments at them. Right at the nurses, at the scrub nurses, which obviously now would just be a striking off immediately offence. But it did go on. So I think times have changed.
1: Do you think nurses and and professions who deal with all of us get a better perspective of society than maybe some of us who live a very constrained job in a different place? The, the reason why I ask that is because when you describe working in mental health care, you give a perspective of mental health care that I had just been oblivious to. So you talk about the the racial filter of mental disturbances. You talk about how everyone in the ward that you were in at one point was black or... or asian or other other minority and the, the way that you talk about that is you say effectively it's an illustration of how society just gradually has these microaggressions against them that has the consequent impact on their mental well-being it was a perspective that i'd never even had the the opportunity to consider i just wonder whether it just gives you a broader better perspective on on society as a whole
2: I think that nurses are witnesses to our human condition and certainly have experiences that make you live your life with your eyes wide open to things. And racism, for example, is alive and well. And, you know, you can see it in mental health settings very clearly. Um, Black men are disproportionately more likely to get diagnosed with schizophrenia and die younger and all those awful things. Um,
1: Why is that, though?
2: Well, again, they haven't done enough research. Because the research is is usually primarily geared up to a particular group of people so even the research is racist can be considered racist so we need to just absolutely look at this it's it's not just about race it's about all kinds of different things but certainly as a nurse i've i've certainly been able to question my own privilege a lot which has been good And you come into contact with people from all kinds of sectors of society and you see all manner of suffering. And the ability to be able to reflect on it and question it, I think, is an important job of a nurse, not just caring for people, but understanding, well, what led them here? Is it fair? Is it right? Um, How have they ended up in this position? And quite often, those things are much more than about health and illness. They're about social factors and wider public Critical race theory and all kinds of
1: other things. I just saw that when Jeremy Hunt just left politics recently, and about three weeks later, he tweeted out that someone had approached him on the side of a football pitch and explained one of the situations that that the, their family member was in. And Jeremy Hunt tweeted out, "Oh, we need to fund mental health much better in this country," which was just ironic because he had been previously responsible for that, and it just reminded me of the bubble that we're often in. That you know, even these people who it's their responsibility to look after these things. Unless you're exposed to what you might be exposed to in nursing, a cross-section of the whole of society, you can be isolated, insulated away from some of these real issues.
2: Yeah, and all the stuff that's happening at the moment with the Brexit uh, situation, basically, uh, politicians have come out, even Matt Hancock came out and said, I can't guarantee that people won't die as a result of a no-deal Brexit. He came out and actually published Mm. that. Um, And I can tell you that, people are already dying. And people are already dying because all this money that uh, Brexit has taken away and the discussions are happening. And people are already dying since austerity measures. Like We have just seen a massive sea change in in the kind of patients that are coming in. And the National Health Service, someone once said it, it's almost like the National Illness Service, but I think now it's the National Suffering Service mm. because people don't have anywhere to go. They don't mm. have any. And, and in, in all settings in the NHS, you see patients who are, who are suffering because of poverty increasingly to the level where they're actually coming in seriously yeah. or trying to take their own life.
1: Tell me a little bit about the pressures of the job. You say at one point that if there was mandatory drug tests in hospitals, loads of people would fail the drug test. There's a nice scene where one nurse notices that she's maybe had relations with three or four people in the operating theatre with her. I guess they're all coping mechanisms to an extent, aren't they? And I just wonder what the realities and the pressures of a job like nursing are.
2: Yeah, so the person um, who'd had relations, I love your use of language, but she she was a student nurse with me, so it was quite a long time ago. I'm 43 now, yeah. so it was a long time. We were, we were 17, 18. And she was looking around the theatre, the operating theatre, and she was pulling up her mask and um, trying to hide her face, really. And she basically said because I asked her what, what she was doing, and she said that she had slept with everybody in the room, including the surgeon. Um, not the patient. She said not the patient, but the patient had <laughs> drapes over them, so we couldn't be 100%, to be fair. But, so it was probably more than three or four, I can tell you. But the, yeah. the interesting thing about... Um, how time changes and time moves on is that you don't really see that kind of behaviour anymore however I still know that character who I called Jess in the book and I can tell you now that she's exactly the okay, same okay. she's never so, changed
1: <laughs> <So> <laughs> which it is quite like, wonderful Okay, I was, time may
2: change I was we may age right. but Jess is exactly the same
1: I was putting it down <laughs> to the, like the stresses of the job that people right okay it's just human, it's characteristics. human
2: characteristics now I think the job is obviously incredibly stressful and particularly now more than ever because nurses are working harder than they've ever worked. Staffing is nowhere near adequate enough that they can provide safe and effective care for their patients at all. I mean, we're 42,000 nurses short in England. Wow, right now. And so it is astonishing how how people are running on empty and yet they still provide on the whole consistently great evidence-based, care to their patients because they go above and and beyond but that going above and beyond every single day means that people are getting burnt out they're suffering from all kinds of mental health problems and nurses have got the highest occupational suicide rate now female nurses so it's a tough tough job and talk me
1: through that so the highest occupational suicide rate female nurses and why why do you think it would be the gender split on it as well
2: I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. But I think it's a very interesting thing to look into. And I think maybe, I mean, there is a gender pay gap in nursing.
0: Is there really? Even
2: though 89% of nurses are women, a significant gender pay gap. There's, uh, you know, male nurses tend to be promoted quicker. There's quite a lot of research about that. So gender is a huge issue, even in nursing, even in the place where you'd think it was a non-issue, it's a huge issue. But I think the difference, and, and talking about the difference between nurses and doctors, I don't think there's a hierarchy, but there's different, definitely a different set of pressures. So doctors have an enormous amount of responsibility, and the weight of that I can't even imagine sometimes, huge responsibility. Nurses spend a lot of time by the side of their patients and families. So. Uh, you might be in a consultation room and the doctor will be saying to a family, did you understand what I've said? And the family will nod, yes, we understood. And then the doctor will leave and they'll turn to the nurse and say, what did he say? What did he mean? Because they're trying to look at the nurse as a halfway house or a Mm. translator of difficult language. And then the other thing is that nurses are there even after you die. You know, it's the nurse who spends time looking after dying patients. They're there the whole time, maybe 12 and a half hours, maybe longer. With a patient and their family while they're dying, they after they die, that it's the nurse who's looking after the patient still. So there are a lot of additional pressures. And I think it's spending that time with people who are grieving and particularly going through awful traumatic experiences that eventually you swallow some of that trauma. You have to in order to be a good nurse, yeah. but it's cumulative. And eventually I think the pressures of the job are never the patients. It's about the fact that you might not have the energy or time to be able to provide the care that you want to pr- provide and you certainly don't have the support in terms of staffing practical staff organizational stuff and mental health they're the biggest pressures
1: it also struck me that these these sort of ancillary parts that contribute to it that you you say at one point that you often notice the people who are at bus stops at half five in the morning i, I might be paraphrasing yep. but you notice the people who because generally they're the working class people who yep. have got a long journey and it's not uncommon i guess that Nurses in London, but probably elsewhere, have got an hour and a half journey to and from work every day. Mostly, yeah. Yeah. And so it's not only the fact that this job takes everything out of you, but then, in and you're probably doing longer than the the scheduled hours, but then in addition, you've got the extra drain of, of a long journey home.
2: Yeah, and they've just done a big campaign to remind nurses to drink water, which was, was, I mean, it's not about reminding nurses to drink water. Nurses don't take breaks because they're so busy. And certainly there have been situations where I haven't drunk or eaten anything for 12 hours. It's not uncommon at all. There was a, a wellness notice in one of the hospitals I visited recently that said, nursing staff sign up for yoga and meditation classes. And somebody had written, I didn't have time to pee yesterday for 12 and a half hours. Namaste.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was brilliant.
2: So I think that, the, yeah, the, it might be 12 and a half hours you work, but like you said, you're working often longer and then you have a four, four hours journey to and from work and you're not eating or drinking. It's a really unhealthy way to mm. work really, but it's a very, it's a very common thing to not, to not take your breaks or you'd be eating your breakfast at 4pm and and that's a piece of white toast.
1: How have other nurses responded to you giving voice to their profession?
2: I think my greatest joy is the messages I get every single day, usually via Instagram or social media from particularly younger nurses, but all nurses saying, I really felt like I was the only one that had these experiences and I felt like my job wasn't as important and now I can see how important it is or or people saying that they were thinking about a career in nursing and they've read the book and now they're going to do it definitely. Yeah. So that's been my greatest joy. I get the occasional one-star Am- Amazon review from a nurse. Do you? <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Saying what? This, it's not at all my experience. Right, okay. And I think that's quite funny and quite telling because I'm not trying to write everybody's yeah. experience. I'm just writing my own. I certainly don't feel like a voice of nurses or nursing I'm just trying to be a writer who has a lot of experience as a nurse and is trying to make sense of my own life so it is quite it feels like sometimes a big responsibility yeah uh, that people see you as someone that can represent a profession yeah and I certainly don't feel I can represent an entire profession I can just talk about nursing and hopefully be really positive and get people interested in talking about nursing that's where I see my role
1: because you're such an accomplished writer already when you've written this you bring such a beautiful turn of phrase and lyricism to some of the humanity you describe and some of these sort of beautiful scenes. And presumably for a lot of people, the scenes of you washing a patient's hair to remove the smell of smoke, it's, it's such a powerful act of humanity that I suspect whether you're a nurse or not a nurse, you can't help but be drawn to that.
2: Yeah, it was very difficult actually to try and get the balance right between properly representing the job of nursing, which is to lead cardiac arrests or to teach or to, you know, perf- do be really heavily involved with research or academia. And I didn't want to shy away from making sure that I represented the job in all its entirety uh, because it is so much more than, than just the kindness. And of course, the kindness is the most important thing, but lots of professions are kind and nursing is so much more than that. But I do think that writing the book made me come back to that, that word time and time again. And I think that the most important things I've done in my career have been the most simple. Because something like washing a child's hair when they've been in a fire or holding the hands of a person who is at the end of their life or even so much as just taking time to listen to a relative, those have been the most significant things despite all the advanced stuff that I've ever done. And that took me a lot a long time to realise that that was the most important part of what I consider the nursing job.
1: Especially because I think that is more and more brushed out of other professions over time, or often that humanity, that human connection is often discarded as seeming unnecessary, superfluous, fluffy. And so for you to so powerfully describe that it's the vital component, I think, of being a good nurse. It's just a good reminder of how important it is. I I took something from it for my own job, I thought, when you were describing these scenes of human empathy and just connecting with other people. I was just reminded how quickly we brush past it in other professions.
2: Yeah, the whole hashtag kindness or, or the slogans that we hear and see sometimes feel a bit soulless When, I mean, we're living in an age where people are very good at at branding and people are very good at, I think kindness has almost become a brand Mm. and it's certainly fashionable to be seen as kind, but whether those, the people who are seen as kind are actually doing any real acts of kindness, I'm not entirely sure. And so I think that we're good with words and not so great with deeds.
1: Yeah. I understand exactly what you're saying there because, um, for a long time, it's, Dip down a bit now, but there was a long time where people were constantly posting sponsored links and, you know, please do this. And it was very much evident that people were virtue signalling by posting other people's. And I used to, every time when someone had posted, oh, please go and sponsor this, I would always click on it and see whether they'd donated themselves.
2: Oh, interesting. Because
1: I was just fascinated with By all means, post something if Mm. you've contributed and you want to add voice to it. But if you're just posting it Mm. as a means of labelling you as a compassionate and kind individual, but you've not contributed yourself. And I understand that people's financial means means they can't always do that. But I I was interested because quite often I've clicked on them and there's been three people who've donated. So I thought, okay, so it's not like it's lost in a sea of donations. But we've often prioritised being seen as being virtuous rather than actually contributing something.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that I think we've really lost a sense of community and the idea that, for example, we can be on social media or doing anything else talking about kindness um, and yet have an elderly relative in hospital who we haven't been to see because we're too busy. And so if you go to a care of the elderly ward now, for example, in the UK, particularly with British-born patients. There are no relatives. Wow. And so my Filipino colleagues would say, how, how is this happening? There are no visitors at visiting times. And it's desperately sad that mm. we're in that situation. And I know people live very far apart, but I suspect that not everyone lives far apart. And the busyness that we create by doing all the things that we are doing to, I suppose, contain ourselves as a brand Mm. or someone that we think we should be, I don't know. I think there's there's huge space for kindness in every in every person's life, and I think that starts with community, definitely. Have you read responsible- Johan
1: Hari's Lost Connections? Yeah, really I interesting. I adored that book, yeah. just because, I guess, at a societal level, it goes through line by line how what you witnessed there that we're sort of not connecting with other people around us.
2: Yeah, it's a very interesting, slightly terrifying time, mm. I think.
1: But But maybe one of the consequences of it, you talked about social media there, but one of the things that I think social media has observed time and time again is a big empathy gap. That What we often mistake, like your Amazon reviewer, but what we often mistake is that the person who is typing something... They can't empathise that the person receiving those messages is a person. And so what... Oh, that's interesting. We, so we see it time and time again. One, of, I think one of the biggest challenges of the way that we've observed social media in the last 15 years, people, they see Kylie Jenner and they imagine that Kylie Jenner can take all manner of abuse because she's this multi-millionaire. But then they take her and they they've, so they dehumanise her. But then people who are at a far more mundane level of, fame and, and recognition, they, you know, they'll, they'll send abuse to those people as well. And they don't perceive that there's someone at the receiving end of it. So MPs, for example, see a lot mm. of that. You know, any local councillor probably, you know, doesn't see themselves as mm. in any way a celebrity, but probably gets, I would have thought, sort of horrific abuse. And well,
2: anyone with enough followers, yeah, but will it's get all down abused. to that. it's
1: there are, all those things it's are about interrelated
2: it, about empathy. Yeah, I, th- I think that's uh, because I've been talking to quite a few people doing research um, at Berkeley and places and into AI and healthcare, particularly, but AI all over, and and that that lack of empathy is kind of the final stumbling block, mm. and it may well come that we're able to. Digitalized empathy.
1: Do you think so, though? I don't I,
2: know. You'll know I, I, more than me.
1: I worry about, they say that sort of one of the greatest gifts to psychopaths is people training EQ, because if you can mimic it, you can make out it's true. Mm. And I just wonder, someone feigning empathy, I think it's it will always be a degree dead-eyed, and it, yeah. it just feels, you know, when you're on a chatbot and the chatbot tries to be playful you would be like, hey, how, like, I don't know if you've, you've ever sort of, if you're paying mm-hmm. your council tax or you're paying your phone bill and you're not chatting to a real person, but they try and make it into this quirky experience. Yeah. It's sort of, for me, it, it's such a, a soul-destroying experience.
2: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think it's very interesting. Um, I read a, an article recently that said that one in ten or, or... No, in the top ten list of psychopaths in terms of jobs and professions, surgeons always features in the top Yeah, 10. I've seen that. Have you seen it? Why is that? I think yeah, I think it's probably beneficial, isn't it? Yeah. To be able to not feel to like... To make an incision
1: in someone's brain or heart.
2: Yeah. Is... I, I certainly spoke to a military nurse recently... Who had got back from where they were based, but had been through various wars on the front line and and couldn't, go, couldn't walk past the butcher's because of the things they'd seen and felt right. and smelled and I suppose in the same way if you're a surgeon and you have that responsibility of knowing that everything that you're doing with your hands is either going to save somebody or kill somebody mm. you can't really think too much about the humanity yeah. thing i don't know
1: yeah. You- just the fragility of producing you, wouldn't it? That yeah. you sort of you're in, now in God mode. You're now determining solely, you know, with a team, but you're determining the outcome of someone's mm. life. It's-
2: interesting, but and, and AI is such an interesting part of healthcare, and it will be incredible what happens. But I think that that is the final piece of the puzzle. If they can find a way, if there is a way to digitalise empathy.
1: You don't, you don't think there will be? I don't, but I mean, like you know. You never know. I mean, that... I'm we, blown away with how technology could spark cancerous tumours and yeah. things like that way ahead of well, the way we do them. it. I mean, I'm yeah. not, but I, I'd have thought, what What strikes me about reading your stuff is that you'll never re- be able to replace that true humanity with yeah. something that pretends to be it. And I so agree. So there's always a I role agree. for it.
2: Yeah, I agree. But I think people will try, Definitely. And that people are trying (laughs) already. Um,
1: More of my discussion with Christy Watson after this.
0: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
2: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey.
1: So what will you do now? So you've written two successful novels and then you've written this book, which has been a great success, hasn't it? Is, is it more successful than your novels?
2: Yeah, by far. Right, yeah, By okay. far. Yeah, yeah, because like... Yeah, I mean, the, well, it's difficult to measure. Anyway. It depends how you measure success. My my first book won the Costa Prize first novel, which was great and amazing.
1: My second book... How did you not know that you were up for that award?
2: I don't think you...
1: Oh, is it I just a they I don't tell you? I think it's all you. top
2: secret. I think you, uh, okay. you, they, the publishers can put a certain number of books up each year right. for, for awards. And I guess they don't want to tell everyone what's up. Okay. Um, my second book didn't really do much at all, but I am probably most proud of that because my dad was dying when I was writing it, just split up with my ex, lost the house. I mean, I was in the worst possible place in the world. And I was working stupid hours and just trying to keep everything afloat because I'm a single mum. And what do you, I, do you do in that situation?
1: Do you write it on the bus? Do you write? When are you writing in that five situation? Five o'clock
2: in the morning, four are o'clock you? in the morning. Yeah, just getting up, powering through with too much coffee and, and writing. <laughs> but I'm so proud of that book because I don't think it's my best book. But I think to even produce mm. anything during that time, which mm. was the worst time of my life, I think it was probably, I was really proud of that. So for me, that's my most successful, which is actually commercially my least successful.
1: And tell me this, like, just on the process of creativity, because one of the things I often read in literature is that stress kills our ability to be creative and and being overworked. And you seem to be the example of the opposite of that. Was it that you'd already done the creative thinking and you were just executing it by getting it down on paper? How can, how can you be creative in a time of such overload?
2: I've d- I don't think I've ever not been creative. I've got too many ideas all the time. I've never had what do people call it when they're looking at a blank a page writer's block, writers block. i've never had writer's block i right. couldn't even think of the words yeah. i don't i'm not sure i believe in it right and i've certainly never been in a position where i've been uh lucky enough to be financially secure enough to wait around for a muse and look out in an italian lake and be served right. fresh mint tea while i think about my next novel you know it just hasn't happened for me at all like that i treat it like a job and so i start writing every day as anyone would just start clocking on work and, and then I finish when I finish but my, I'm always thinking of things, I, don't think, I, I think my problem is switching off and okay. switching my brain off but I've never not been like that, even as a child I was like that.
1: You didn't answer my question but what will you do next then?
2: <laughs> so next I'm going to carry on doing all this stuff, so I can't imagine not writing I will continue to write um, I'm writing, I've just written another book about nurses not in hospitals, I was telling you about. And I really want to talk about our most vulnerable members of society and also what's happening politically now, but without being heavy-handed. So really talk about personal stories and my experiences. And then after I've done this, I think I'll try and do something completely different, but I don't know what yet. So it'll, I'll always have four or five projects on the go.
1: Right, <laughs> that workaholism. Yeah,
2: that workaholism.
1: And r- just, just tell me, um, just quickly, out of curiosity, if you're turning these things into TV shows or theatre things, do you have to let go a bit of of, of like that sense that, of authenticity that you want it to be precisely as it happened? How does How does that process work?
2: So you want it. You want it to be far less precise, I think, if it goes to screen or stage. Right. And it goes through... I quite like right. letting go. but I, I think because, particularly for television, it needs to be dramatised. And so I didn't want to be myself in a television series because it would just be excruciating. So I've come up with characters who are fictional. So I think you, you you let it go and it goes to somewhere else and it becomes something else and it evolves into something new. And and theatre even more so because I don't know anything about theatre, so I've very much given it to safe hands and said, "Do with it what you want." And it's very interesting what they've done with it and taught me a lot because they they've almost choreographed it as a dance. It made me realise that nursing is a kind of dance. Okay. And I started to look at it in a in a different way. And I always thought nursing is science and philosophy and art and politics and everything else, but I never thought about nursing being a kind of dance and it is it's a very physical thing so that's quite exciting to see what someone else's vision is of the job
1: is that about transferring the energy that nursing has emanating through it
2: yeah to sort
1: of that fills the performance
2: it's something about how it's about teamwork i think and nursing nurses being in total synchrony when they are working together in an emergency situation or something like that but it's been really interesting to watch and I'm excited to see that unfold, particularly that, the theatre.
1: When you were talking earlier about the relationship with doctors, you mentioned teamwork, and you mentioned teamwork there. When is the teamwork good in, in a nursing environment? When's it bad? What, what helps make it a good team?
2: I've been really lucky in that I've worked with great teams, and I think a great team always has a great leader. That's the thing. It's, it's top-down. So I've had great bosses and great senior nurses all all the way through my training and then hopefully try to mirror their behaviours in some way and copy them. Actually, uh, there's a nurse who, she was a sister and I was a junior nurse in my first job and I hadn't seen her. I thought she was brilliant. She was kind of my hero and she probably didn't give me a second thought, but I used to follow her around and ask her a million questions and try and emulate her behaviours. And she came to see me last year at an event in a festival. I think it was Hay. I can't remember where. And she queued up afterwards to see me. I haven't seen her for 25, 30 years. And she said, oh, I don't know if you remember me. And I just burst into tears. I was like, remember you? You You're literally my hero. I mean, it was quite an emotional moment because she had such an enormous Mm. impact on me. But her team was brilliant because she was brilliant. And so everyone just tried to copy her. And that seems to have been the case wherever I'm working. Teamwork has been about leadership and about role modeling Um, and culturally if you've got 90% of the team are great then the 10% that aren't they'll either learn to be or they'll quickly move on I Mm. think and when teamwork is bad I don't think I've had really too much experience of it but I've certainly I've certainly worked with people who are struggling um, or very stressed or going through difficult times and maybe not coping with the job as well as other times. And I think then it's important to recognise that their behaviours might be difficult, but actually it's it's kind of your role to help them manage stress and to recognise it in themselves and to actually take over a bit. And there's been cardiac arrest situations where I've been arrived and it's been disastrous and you can see very quickly that it's not going well because everyone's shouting, screaming, you know, it's a big mess and the patient is... Got, very little chance of survival anyway but absolutely no chance if that carries on and you ask who's leading this and either no one will put their hand up or everyone will put their hand okay. up which is even worse and so I've had to particularly one situation I had to move somebody and ask them to go and take over and that was really really challenging but afterwards that person actually it was a doctor it was a consultant came up to me and said I want just wanted to thank you Wow. Yeah. So I think sometimes even those really tricky situations, we don't know what's happening in someone's personal life. Yeah, you don't know what's affecting their teamwork, and quite often it's something that you don't know about and you find out about later.
1: Do we in the British Health Service? Do we do? I heard an American physician talk about a who is, which he—I'm sure he called it a who is, which was. before an operation everyone has to say my name is Bruce and I'm here to do this and you go around the room and it was largely because if people have spoken to each other once they're more likely to speak to each other again when things go wrong. What do we call that in the UK? Do we do that?
2: Well, The Resuscitation Council which is a sort of god of all things resus advises in all their literature that You meet with the team, the crash team, because you're coming from various different places in the hospital and it might be different every day. So there's usually an anaesthetist, a senior nurse, a resuscitation nurse, um, uh, an RMO, a doctor, and then another junior doctor. But you might be working in completely separate areas and have never met. But that never, ever happens. That's never happened in my entire career because you do not have time to meet up every morning and say hello, who is what? Mm. What am I doing? So it's it, it quite often for the first time you're meeting the crash team while you're either running towards a medical emergency right. or it's actually full full on medical emergency, and and the thing that's brilliant that I've seen is um, one of the one of the anaesthetists actually I was working with just very calmly I think one of the first cardiac arrest I ever went to said right, um, my name is, um, I'm the anaesthetist, let's just say hi. And even while chest compressions were happening, nothing stopped, but everyone then had eye contact, and it's so important. Actually, it's a safety, it's a well-known kind of Mm -hmm. safety issue. If you don't have eye contact with somebody Mm. and you're doing different jobs and you say, can you do the defib or can you do this, it's quite dangerous. So knowing people's names is actually really helpful and really yeah, important. And there's never a time, no matter how bad it is, that you can't be polite and calm and say, hi, my name's Christy. You're
1: going to miss it. You're going to miss nursing.
2: Well, I, I don't at the moment because all I talk about is nursing. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel more of a nurse right. than ever before. And I'm um, lucky enough to be patron of the Royal College of Nursing Foundation. So I'm very much involved with them okay. and very much hopeful. Hoping to carry on talking about nursing for a long time, and next year is the International Year of the Nurse and Midwife. Okay. So I will be, no doubt, talking about nursing. Be long. so fed
1: up if it by end of. I'll be so
2: fed up, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's an honour to be able to talk about it.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. I loved that discussion. I mean, you, it was pretty clear that we we got on so well, and largely that was a tribute to to Christy being such a brilliant, creative kind, thoughtful, funny person. Uh, So I'm I'm delighted uh, she gave me her time. And in fact, that was recorded a few months ago. So it's actually the International Year of the Nurse now. And never did we need them more. I'm not going to plug anything else. You're welcome to get in touch with me. And you can can do that at the website, eatsleepworkrepeat.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next
0: time.